book four chapter one of st francis of assisi a biography by johannes jorensen translated by thomas o'connor sloan this librivox recording is in the public domain book four francis the hermit chapter one the writer from this period to the day of his death francis had two things to live for to live himself in accordance with the gospel to the last degree of perfection and thus by his example to show the brethren the right way and next by new writings to supply what was wanting in the rule approved by the pope and what he was not permitted to say in it those days in which francis at first alone and then with the following of the brothers went about like an evangelist and one of god's singers were past and gone in the years which were left to him he was to work with his pen and in private life a considerable part of these his last years francis spent in the valley of rieti this valley traversed by the river velino stretches from terni down from aquila is bordered on one side by the sabine hills and on the other by the mighty cloud-covered and snow-clad abruzzi and had been the scene of one of francis's earliest mission journeys every one of the little towns which now as then hang on the mountainside or cover the mountain tops recalled to him the time before any of his illusions had vanished and when he had still entertained the possibility of throwing a bridge across from heaven to earth to take all mankind with himself into paradise he had now fully learned of what stuff men are made and that some as in the gospel are taken up by their oxen others with their crops when the invitations go out for the great supper but francis knew also what again is to be found in the gospel that the master in the heavenly kingdom was enraged and said to his servants go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the feeble and the blind that my house may be filled with greater faith than ever francis took up the precepts of the sermon on the mount blessed are the poor blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the pure of heart after this when he spoke to his brothers it was not as one having authority over them he still can be disturbed by ministers and prelates who send his brothers where he does not want them to go and in the emotions of the moment he can break out who are you that have dared to take my brothers away from me but he depends on god and on his guastaldi if the friars minor fall away from their ideal men will despise them yes persecute them and thus drive them back into the right paths he himself is no longer obliged to do more than pray for the brethren and by his example hold up the ideal before their eyes so that no excuse can be offered for remissness can god well ask more of a sick man and this is the place to speak of francis's sickness or sicknesses as especially they afflicted him in the last years of his life his health had as we know never been very good we see him in his youth attacked by one fever after another since then his many and long fasts had undermined his constitution 
demons could drive him to the border of despair by saying to him there is salvation for every sinner except for him who has ruined himself by excessive penances he seldom ate food that was prepared and dusted it in such case by throwing ashes on it saying that sister ashes was chaste he slept but little and then by choice sitting or with a stone or log of wood for a pillow in carceri and later at laverna his bed was the bare rock after he had led this life for twenty years his body was all broken down he had hemorrhages from the stomach and the brothers often believed his end was near to this must be added the misfortune that francis during his stay in the orient had contracted the egyptian eye sickness so that at times he was nearly blind it was no wonder then that in a letter written in that year he signs himself as homo caducus a decrepit man it was almost a matter of necessity for him to be restricted to an apostolate by letters in which his zeal for leading men to heaven found expression up to the last in this last epoch of his life francis sent out five letters or circular epistles a letter to all christians a letter to a pentecost chapter at which he could not be present twelve twenty four a letter to all clerics a letter to all guardians custodes and a letter to all superiors to these must be added his testament the testament to the clares and finally his religious poetry above all his song to the sun to the same time we may certainly assign a little autograph writing or a letter to brother leo but now we must not expect to find in the letters of francis of assisi new and surprising thoughts it was precisely the old thoughts he wished to inculcate the letters moreover are addressed to various circles so that francis had no reason to avoid repetition a careless reader will find the five letters therefore poor in ideas and tiring with their constant repetition of two or three topics but Bamer remarks if one thinks of the personality that stood behind the words the simple and unlearned man from assisi in all his naivete and abounding love then do the dead words become loving flesh and the poverty of spirit reveals itself as richness for the little which francis possessed was not learned or prepared it filled and possessed him completely and therefore his words notwithstanding all outer lack of elegance acted on men with the power of a revelation if we read through these letters of francis we find in reality nothing else in them than what we already are familiar with in his admonitiones and in his regula prima and in his letter to elias there are the same precepts to serve and love god to live a life of conversion to fast also in metaphorical sense to fast from sin and crime to love and help our enemies not to seek worldly wisdom or exalted positions to pray much to confess and approach the altar to try to do good where we have been doing evil the last precept gave francis a chance in one of his documents 
in a letter we might call a contemplative epistle to introduce a description of how a sinner dies de infirmo qui male penitet the body sickens death approaches francis writes the relatives and friends come and say prepare thy house and his wife and children his nearest ones and his friends act as if they wept and the sick one looks around and sees them weep and is moved by a false emotion and thinks to himself yes i will give over myself with soul and body and all that i have into your faithful hands truly the man is damned who gives his soul his body and all he has into such hands that depend upon them therefore the lord says through the prophet cursed is he who depends upon a man and at once the priest is brought and the priest says to him dost thou wish to do penance for all thy transgressions the sick man answers yes and the priest asks wilt thou give reparation to all whom thou hast defrauded and betrayed as far as thou canst he answers no and the priest says why not he answers because i have given all to my family and to my friends and thereby he misses his goal and dies without having done reparation for his injustice but what all must know is this that where and however a man dies in grievous sin without having made good his injustice when he could have done it but would not such a soul the devil at once takes and how great his sorrow and pain becomes no one knows except he who experiences it and all motion and all power all knowledge and wisdom he thought he had all this is taken away from him and he leaves after him his property for his family and his friends and they take and divide it up among themselves and say thereafter may his soul be cursed that he has not earned more for us and left us more and thus he loses all in this world and in the other is tormented in everlasting hell there is in this picture a bitterness in the comprehension of mankind that is elsewhere not to be found in francis it is no comfortable picture he sketches of these selfish nearest ones who stand around the bed of the dying man and willingly let him go to hell as long as they can get him to make a will in their favor and when they have by their hypocritical emotions induced the man they pretend to love to end his unjust life with a last irreparable crime they curse him as soon as he has closed his eyes on this life and has opened them in everlasting torments because he has not scraped together more for their benefit all through his life they have seen in him only a work-slave whose wages they were to get indifferent whether they were justly or unjustly earned that he risked his eternal salvation to accumulate money enough that never for a moment occurs to them why should they think of that now in his last moments we feel as if we were reading one of leo tolstoy's most gripping novels for example the short story which is called before the judgment seat of death and which treats of how ivan Ilyitch, 
under his long last illness lay and discovered that he never had been loved that his wife had never seen in him anything as far as she was concerned but a source of money for her and nothing else and perceived that his children were trained to the same to regard him as the old man who was good to touch and who now unfortunately was going off but more unfortunate than ivan illich the dying man of francis of assisi's little tale does not get his eyes open before it is too late and too late for ever in the letter to the brethren assembled at the chapter of pentecost twelve twenty four in the letter to the clerics and to the guardians superiors of convents francis especially seeks to emphasize the precepts which had been omitted from the rule he exhorts the brethren to great reverence for the sacrament of the altar if a number of priests are together only one mass is to be said which the others can be content at being present at he says to pick up every piece of paper on which holy words may be and to preserve such with reverence the office is to be said with more regard to inner devotion than to melody of voice the sacred vessels and the altar cloths should be kept shiningly clean and the most holy sacrament should be preserved with reverence and when it is offered on the altar in the mass all shall kneel down praise and glorify god and the church bells are to be rung so that all near can participate in this giving of praise and i brother francis your little servant pray and beseech you in charity which is god himself and with the desire to kiss your feet that you with humility and charity accept these and other of the words of our lord jesus christ and practice them and keep them perfectly and they who cannot read let them often have them read for them and have them with them and live after them to the end with holy actions for these words are spirit and life and whoso does not do this shall be called to account at the last day before the judgment seat of christ and all those who accept the word with joy and embrace it and live after it an example to others and persevere to the end may they be blessed by god the father son and holy ghost amen it seems to have been at this time that francis conceived the idea of sending brothers out to all the provinces with beautiful bright ciboria pixides and everywhere where they found the lord's body improperly preserved they should give the priest of the place one of the new altar vessels other brothers he would send out with good ornamented host irons to make beautiful and pure altar bread with it is certain that none of these plans was widely carried out yet in the convent of greccio a host iron is to be found which it is said was presented by francis the letter to all authorities namely all podestas consuls judges and rectors originated in francis's anxiety to work also upon the community religion was for him no private affair it was also an affair of the public at large he therefore exhorts all those who are in authority not to forget in the presence of their manifold tasks 
the one thing needful. When death comes, what is there left? As Verlaine was to sing seven hundred years later, et puis quand la mort viendra, carestile. Therefore Francis exhorted all the mighty lords to approach the altar just like common men, and as power is for the present given to them, let them make a good use of it by means of a herald, or in some other way have a signal given, and when people hear that signal, they shall all praise and glorify God. The letter to Brother Leo seems to have been written at the time when the indignation and grief over the many alterations and erasures in the rule were still fresh both with him and the master. It is not written in nearly so carefully labored a style as the great circular letters, in which possibly also Caesarius of Speyer, who on June 11, 1223 was back from Germany, was a collaborator. The whole letter reads, Brother Leo, thy brother Francis sends thee greeting and peace. I speak thus to you, my son, and as a mother, because all the words which we spoke upon the road I arrange in this word and advice, and in case thou hast to come to me for advice afterwards, for thus I do advise thee. In whatever way it seems better to thee to please the Lord God, and follow in his steps and poverty do so with the blessing of the lord god and with my obedience and if it is necessary to thee on account of thy soul or of other consolation of thine and thou desirest leo to come to me come francis gives evidently here a permission to brother leo of the same sort as the one he had given caesarius the plural number employed in the letter, faciatis, might indicate, as Sabatier thinks, that the permission was not only accorded to Leo, but also to others of like mind. Strictly speaking, Francis could not do this, for the law-making power was no longer his, or not his alone, and it appears that he was not always clear in his mind about this. Thus Eccleston relates that Francis, after the rule was established, sent out an order in virtue of which the brethren, when they ate outside of the convents, should not take more than three mouthfuls, so as not to irritate lay people by showing too great an appetite. For more than once, Brother Francis continued to be the real head of the order, and directly after his death, the contention that lasted for centuries broke out between those who wished in accordance with the permission granted by the saint to follow the rule literally and those who wished to accept the leniencies granted by rome end of book four chapter one